Hi, and welcome to the Involved Company podcast. If you haven't met me before, my name is Christina Gonzalez Sander, and I am your lovely host, guiding you through some no BS conversations with women of color about the intersections of race, identity, and our cultural upbringings with everything else. So we are a lifestyle podcast made for women of color so that we can talk about everything from self-development, well-being, finances, spirituality, entrepreneurship, and more. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome. Yes, that evil inner critic that tells us we're not good enough, the one who helps us fall into that comparison trap. And this is something that we are all susceptible to, right? Every single person feels at some point like they're not good enough or they're a fraud. And if you haven't felt that way before, you must be superhuman because I know I definitely feel that way a lot of the times. And I am so grateful for our guest, L'Oreal Thompson Payton, who is a freelance writer, editor, and public speaker dedicated to encouraging and elevating black women and girls. She has been featured in so many different publications online and in print, like Bustle, Hello Giggles, Self, Shondaland, Well and Good, and Zora, just to name a few. But this is going to be a really good one. I know that during this conversation, I wrote down a bunch of things that I was like, yep, I need to do that. So make sure you grab a piece of paper or write a note in your phone because L'Oreal is going to share a lot of her tips on how she deals with imposter syndrome. And let's do this, right? So thank you so much again for listening. If you love it, please leave a review on iTunes. You would be my favorite person in the entire world. And if you want to continue to support us and the women who come on the podcast, make sure that you stick around all the way until the end and I can tell you how else you can do so. All right, here we go. I'm super excited that we get to connect and like see each other virtually. This is awesome. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. I also love your uh, snake plant in the background, too. Oh, my gosh. It looks like it's thriving. He is. Within his best life. Oh, my God. Gargantuan. Honestly, he's so big. And this is a good space for him because it doesn't really have a ton of natural light. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've tried to put other plants in here, and they... They died. So there's 30 ones. We got one last year and it's still going strong. And with, you know, not a lot of love, a little bit neglected sometimes, but Bradley's doing well. He's living his best life. See, exactly. (laughs) I also need like plants that I can neglect, Mm -hmm. truthfully. So I'm with you on that one. It's been a long process in terms of my plant lady life, but same yeah yeah well we'll get through it (laughs) we're gonna get through this together it's gonna be great well okay so first I want to just welcome you and something that we always do on the podcast is pick an oracle card do you have do you have any experience or knowledge about oracle cards vague familiarity is about the extent yeah okay so I always like to pull one. They they say different things like this one says thrive and they're just really beautiful. They're so pretty. Yeah. No, aren't they? They're like super aesthetic. I needed to have them when I saw them, but I like to kind of, sh- uh, well, normally I would do it in person, but I'm going to shuffle and then you can just tell me when to stop and I'm going to just pull the one off the top. 
Okay. So this one is, sorry, let me move it so that you can see it. It's courage. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you made a face. <laughs> Did something like pop into your mind? Yeah. I'm like at this kind of, you know, a career crossroads, we'll call it, mm. where there's like this pull and it's not even like, I wouldn't describe it as a change or a pivot. It's more so going back to roots of started off in journalism is what I did for a long time until I got burnt out <laughs> and uh, left to do a nonprofit PR, but it's been calling me back. Um, mm. I think about Beyonce's song on the Lion King soundtrack, <gasps> Find Your Way Back. Oh, I love it. And so the courage to do that is what stood out to me when you pulled that card. Oh, so. <laughs> that feels very fitting. Yeah. It has this little booklet and I'll read and see also if that kind of helps maybe dig it even deeper into mm-hmm. your connection with the card. So have the courage to listen to the voice within to make the necessary shifts to bring you back into your authentic self. There is no room for lack of belief in yourself, no room for pushing against the flow of your soul. Wow. That's, <laughs> I got chills. Oh, wow. Chills. Especially yeah. because we're going to talk about imposter syndrome in this episode. And also, I feel like all of that, all of that was all just in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's talk about imposter Let's syndrome. Let's begin. <laughs> I'm like, we all have it. I definitely mm-hmm. have it. And I listened to a couple of the other podcasts that you've been on and happy almost blogversary. It's on the 14th, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. It's whenever I moved to Chicago. So it's coming up. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. So do you want to kind of like walk us through your career and like where imposter syndrome really comes up for you? All the time. I mean, it's, and I preface that in every interview I've done on it, every blog article I've written about it. There's one for Shine Text that I have and reminded people like this doesn't go away. It's not something you overcome once and you're like, okay, I'm done. I did that thing. And you can check it off a list because it's recurring. Like it comes back for me, especially when I'm doing something new or when I am trying something different or advancing, you know, in my career, it always comes back and haunts me. And I want to read to make sure that I don't miss anything about what the definition is. So it goes back to the 70s. Um, Clinical psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes described imposter syndrome as the phoniness in people who believe that they are not intelligent, capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. Because I mean, imposter syndrome was something that I felt for a long time, but didn't know that it had a name. And so it was maybe five years ago or so when I read it in like a glamour article or Cosmo, one of the two. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel that (laughs) I feel that way. And didn't know that there was an explanation behind it, uh, a definition that it had a name. And there's just something so powerful in being able to name something and acknowledge Mm -hmm. like, okay, A, I'm not alone. And B, like, this is a thing that exists. And so it like validates your feelings. And so growing up, I mean, I was the straight A student. I skipped a grade. I was valedictorian in my eighth grade class, got really good grades in high school as well. Like I've always been successful and achieving and 
never once really doubted myself because it was something that I took for granted. And then once I got to college and I didn't get the internship that I wanted, it's like, oh, am I not a good writer? Like, maybe I shouldn't be a journalist. Like, I can't do When, mind you, I was editor in chief of my high school paper. I was copy editor on the newspaper um, in college. And so there was that evidence of high achievement, right? But yet the still doubting myself when I come up against something new and these different challenges. And it's just continued throughout my career after I graduated and I didn't have a job. I take that back. I had a job offer back in January before mm-hmm. graduation. And then it was rescinded because Ooh. it was the, um, 2008. the 2008 recession. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought you might say that year. So yeah, it, I mean, like hashtag elder millennial problems, right? Like this is our second recession. And so um, yeah, it's it's hard out here. So there was a lot <laughs> yeah. of imposter syndrome around that as well. I mean, I had friends who interned in New York and had the big fancy magazine jobs and I had no job. So there was that self-doubt again, and it just kept coming up and up and up. And every time I switched roles or got promotions, there would be that moment of panic where it's like, I don't deserve this. Like, I, I'm not good enough. Um, they're going to find out that I'm a fraud. Like, I ran a whole scheme on everybody and it's going to come out eventually. Like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to get fired before I start kind of thing was like all of the panic thoughts that came up before mm-hmm. that. So it's an ever evolving situation for sure. Well, what do you think like kind of moves you from this place of like, uh, like, you know, kind of that panic of being like, are people going to think that I'm not deserving or worthy of, you know, this position mm-hmm. or that I'm not good enough to do this? Like, how do you move from that place to the place of like, okay, I don't know, maybe like relief? What's I'm trying to think of the word. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like the stages of grief. There's the stages of imposter syndrome. So (laughs) there is always that initial, I remember distinctly in the role that I'm in now in the job interview, the hiring manager had asked me to rank myself on a scale of one to 10. And immediately without thinking, I was like 12. And this is why, and was like talking about being the Olivia Pope of nonprofit PR, like I sold it and I didn't just sell it. Like, it's true. I am good at what I do. I'm very good at it. But in the moments leading up to that start date, I was kind of like, oh crap, (laughs) I've never run communications for a national nonprofit. Like, who do you think you are? What am I doing? And so I think the first step is just that acceptance that this is happening again Mm -hmm. kind of thing because I think too often for myself at least I try to move past the pain and the discomfort and the the awkwardness and the yucky part of just like accepting the feeling like naming the feeling and sitting in it like I'm so quick to rush into getting past it and being on the other side but it's important to acknowledge it to like confront it head on and be like, Oh, a pastor syndrome. We mean again. (laughs) And it's like the first step. And the second part, and I talked about this in the shine article is at this point referencing your brag book, but if you haven't started it yet, um, or feel goods folder is essentially a collection of emails, texts, whatever it might be from past, uh, like previous bosses or colleagues and friends that, make you feel good about yourself that remind you of the badass that you are so many times. And I've gotten better at this over the years. But the first thing I do when I start a new job, I'll have a feel goods folder. And when I get compliments and feedback and like positive emails from colleagues and managers, et cetera, I save it to that folder specifically for a rainy day. So when those moments where I'm like, ah, 
feel like crap and I don't know what I'm doing. And I have it in my personal inbox as well, because, as you know, I have a weekly newsletter. So people mm-hmm. are constantly replying and expressing gratitude for the newsletter and the articles that I share. And I go back and look at those to remind myself, like, hey, girl, you got this. <laughs> You've been Ooh, here before. And I you need can to do, do that. Yeah. I was like, it's everybody should powerful. do that. Absolutely. Do you keep it like in a note on your phone? Yeah. So in Gmail, actually, they have the folder, like the feel goods folder and my personal oh. professional one. But then with text messages, I do, I have a screenshot album that I've then <laughs> made a feel goods one too of that as well, or DMs, like anything that's on uh, you know your phone and all to save and have for reference. That's great. I'm like, damn, I need to get on that. Because I think imposter syndrome can become paralyzing, right? You're kind of like, like, should I be doing this right now? Like, maybe I shouldn't do anything. And at least that's how it kind of comes up for me sometimes is like, I can't do anything. And then Mm -hmm. having that reminder would be really beautiful to like, you know, kind of shake yourself awake and be like, you can do this. People have said that you're doing a good job. You're Mm -hmm. doing a good job. You just got to keep pushing. Exactly. Yeah. And naming that inner critic, that negative voice, I gave mine the name Nancy just because I like alliteration. So like negative Nancy. Mm -hmm. There's times where I have to interrupt that thought because like I feel the, because it's a spiral, right? Like once you allow the negative thought to take hold, then it's very easy to just go down that rabbit hole. And I have to interrupt and be like, not right now, Nancy. We don't have time for this. And I'm really crazy like talking to myself, but I find that naming that voice because I think at the heart of it, right, like the imposter syndrome is trying to protect you or so it thinks from like taking a risk, going after that job, going for the promotion, starting a new thing. And um, because, yeah, like we don't want to fail. Um, <laughs> we don't want to look stupid in front of our friends or our family and everything. And so that feeling is really trying to protect us from the potential hurt and humiliation, but it's deciding that you're bigger than that, that you are going to do it no matter what and kind of telling the imposter syndrome to step aside while you do your thing. Yeah. Tell it to to step back. Exactly. Have a seat. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you, where did you learn how to reframe your mindset? I think that that's really a powerful skill that you have Mm -hmm. to be able to interrupt a thought and reframe a situation for yourself to move past it. And I'm curious. Therapy. Um, In the very first session that I went to, I remember my therapist, I forget exactly what I was talking about in that moment, but she, what she said stuck with me. It was like, what I'm hearing is that you're not very kind to yourself. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, of course I'm kind to myself. Like that's what I was thinking. And then she, cause I'm someone who loves homework. Like my therapist knows this about me. He's like, okay, well, here's an assessment. And I went home, I took the assessment. Um, it was a self-compassion assessment by, um, Dr. Kristen Neff. It's amazing. Wow. We're writing that down and everyone I'm going to link to it. Yes. Cause it was such a game changer for me. I took the assessment and I, I forget if it was a scale of one to 10 or one to five, either way, I scored like a 2.5 on how really? kind I was to myself. Yeah. But she doesn't leave you hanging. So there's affirmations and guided meditations. And one of them was the self-compassion meditation. And one of the parts talked about speaking to yourself like you would your best friend. 
I would never in a million years tell my best friend like, oh girl, you can't do that. Like, what are you thinking? People are going to say blah, 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 blah. I'd be like hyping her up because that's what best friends do. But Mm -hmm. I found that I wasn't treating myself that same way. And once I found that meditation, I downloaded the Insight Timer app. Now I meditate every morning. I love Insight Timer. Yeah. Who are your favorite meditation teachers on Insight Timer? I literally just today made a Black Girl Magic playlist with all of my favorite instructors. Oh so my gosh. Off the t- and I'll send that link to you too. Yeah, send it to me. I love Liz Culpa. Okay. She has a lot of great ones about manifestation and abundance and overcoming fear, imposter syndrome in particular. <gasps> She's oh, amazing. Awesome. Dora Kamal. And I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing all these names correctly because now that I'm saying them out loud, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that I've heard them say it out loud. So... Lauren Ash of Black Girl and Own is amazing. Lala Dahlia, Vibrate Higher Daily. I love her waterfall one. It's like, a, have you done that one on Instagram? Oh, it's like, you visualize yourself at a waterfall. <laughs> it's really nice. Uh, that, I mean, just now, even just the thought of it, my shoulders like, yeah, like <laughs> but I was like, oh, peace. So yeah, I'll just send that link. But those are, those, are, and I'm glad they have more diversity now. Because I remember when I started Inside Timer about, I guess when I started therapy three or so years ago, there were not a lot of black women instructors or instructors of color in general. And so now that there's more diversity there, I'm like, yes, take all my money. I know it's free, but I just signed up for the premium one because I was like, I want all the courses Mm -hmm. I need. (laughs) I need all the self-help. Like, give me all the things. This is not an advertisement for Insight Timer, but if they were to sponsor the podcast, I am here for it. Because they are actually my favorite meditation app. So I'm with you on that. And I've been trying to meditate every day too. All right. All birds. Y'all, I have to tell you about them because not only do they make the world's most comfortable shoes using natural materials, they care about their community. And that is so refreshing. Recently, they asked me to join their global community of changemakers called the All Good Collective, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. I'm part of this group with a couple of other people you might recognize, like Leah Thomas, who's the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, Lisa, who's the founder of the sustainable fashion brand Mian Studios, and so many other amazing people that are doing really awesome things in their communities. Part of Albert's focus this year has been to empower their own members by elevating our voices, our work, and our stories. They really are on a mission to do things right. And if you'd like to check out the work of the other All Good Collective members, visit community.allbirds.com for upcoming events online and in real life. You can also follow them on social media at Allbirds. But I'm going to give you a chance to seriously try out a pair of Allbirds with our monthly giveaway. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to find out how you can win a pair of Allbirds and see for yourself how freaking amazing they are and know that I'm truly, genuinely a fan. All right, back to the episode. How do you find that meditation helps dealing with imposter syndrome for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, because I've talked about this with my therapist as well. It's not about the feeling going away or that anxiety going away. For me, it's shortening the response time. So I think before where the imposter syndrome, the jealousy, you know, of friends or people who are doing things that I want to do and being like, I can never do that and comparing myself 
instead of going all the way down that one woman pity party, mm-hmm. <laughs> I recall the affirmations that I listen to, or I will go to a specific meditation to interrupt the thought and remind myself that I am worthy, that I am talented, that I'm smart. Actually, the one I listened to this morning is said just as like, I am talented, I'm smart, I am worthy of my dreams. And it sounds so cliche, like meditation and mindfulness and affirmations, but it works. Like it totally does. It does. It's crazy. Yeah. Honestly, I agree with you because, well, I like how you are putting into context, how you actually use meditation. Mm-hmm. So you said that you, when you're feeling a certain way, you're like, all right, look, let's stop. You're going to interrupt the thought with a meditation mm-hmm. and it helps you refocus and remind yourself of different things, right? Like I'm worthy. I'm talented. And I don't know if people necessarily know how meditation specifically can help you in your thoughts and your processes. And I think that that's really cool. Thanks for sharing. And a toolkit, you know, there's no magic remedy and no one way. And so I have found identified what my tools are and then reference those when I need them. Same with even doing my morning routine of like, I do my devotional, I do meditation, I do some kind of movement. It's usually yoga or Peloton. So I'm doing that. And I've noticed on days when I don't do those things or I don't journal, like it's hard, of course, to get to all of them. Although now that we're all working from home, I have more time in the morning. So I do get around to most of it. But two out of three is my goal every morning, like to do something that is rooted in self-care and that is for me before I give myself like my time and my energy away to others throughout the course of the day. Mm, uh, Yes, I think it's super important. I've been doing something similar in terms of trying to start my day with like, doing things for me first. Yes. Because I actually think it helps increase my like, oomph. Do you know what I mean? Like that oomph to to, like, dig in and like dive into the Mm -hmm. other work that I have to do for the rest of the day. What other tools do you have? I know you said something about a devotional, mm-hmm. journaling, yep. working and out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hydrating, actually. I just got this brand new water bottle that is 50 ounces. <laughs> Cheers. We'll, we'll both drink water. I'm yeah. going to take a sip. It's, um, key, as well as, again, something sounds so simple. So, like, drink water. But, yeah, like, drink water. Start the day mm-hmm. with at least I try to like half of this by 10 a.m. so that I'm getting water. Yes, staying. I literally will sit where my microphone is right now. People can't see me, but I know L'Oreal can. <laughs> I sit with this in front of my face and like as I'm typing, I literally just sit out of the straw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm like, you know, you just realize that you're you're not drinking water during the day if you're working mm-hmm. hard. You're not moving around and then you get really stiff all of those things even though they seem small and silly but you know contribute to you being your best self and putting your best self forward every day yeah i mean we started this conversation talking about plants we are (laughs) like complicated house plants basically like we have some more parts but at the end of the day we need water sunshine and fresh air so true water yourself (laughs) i am a complicated Houseplant for sure. Well, okay. So like I said, I got super, okay. So I got super pumped because I listened to a bunch of your podcasts. We're both Enneagram number threes. And you said that you were a planner nerd. Mm -hmm. And so am I. 
So I like want to hear a little bit about how you plan your day kind of, right? So we talked about like what you do for you in the morning. And I think, like I said before, all of these different things kind of feed into this idea of fighting against your imposter syndrome is like when you do the things that work for you and you do these little things that help you stay in that right mindset. Yeah. I think all of it is connected. And so I know it seems maybe random that we're talking about your routine and planners and things like that, but I do think that that's all connected to this topic. So I just want to ask like, how do you use your, your planner and, in your daily life. Yeah. And it is all connected. And I was even thinking about this when I was eating breakfast. I was like, I'm the girl who has a to-do list on my day off. So today's a day off, (laughs) but I still have the to-do list. And I got a new one from my sister-in-law who recommended the planner that I use. So I swear by and have used Ink and Vault planner for the last three years now. And what I really like about it, there's the theme. She got it for me for a Christmas gift a few years ago, and I've just been reordering every year ever since. So also not a sponsor, but if they want to holler at you, (laughs) they definitely should. So there's like the word of the year, your goals for the year. Uh, Because I'm someone who's very goal-oriented. It's the Enneagram 3 in us. Like, who are we without our goals? And beyond that, every month there's goals and a monthly challenge. And so that's actually how I restarted my meditation routine because I had fallen out of the habit. It was like every once in a while, but not as consistently. And for May, in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I decided I'm meditating every day. And oh my was gosh, my- I did that too. Yes. Great minds. Think alike or meditate alike, I guess. <laughs> and um, I made that my May challenge in the planner. And what I like, I love crossing things off of a to-do list. So I love the checklist that it has. And it also orients me around going back to the bigger picture. And so I look every Sunday, I plan out my week. I look at my phone of what meetings I have coming up, but also my personal goals and work that I'm doing. And make sure it all ties back to those beginning of the year goals, like everything with purpose and everything with intention and looking throughout the week and making sure that I schedule in those workouts. Like I've learned now to play to my strengths rather than trying to Mm -hmm. make it harder for myself. So I know that I'm a planner. I'm someone, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. And for me being the busybody that I am, that also means scheduling and rest. It sounds so simple and so like, duh, but when you are a borderline workaholic, actually, correction, because I said a low-key workaholic in another podcast and a friend corrected me and she was like, you mean high key? (laughs) Okay, just read me then. So (laughs) that means that, you know, I have to schedule in, okay, today I'm reading on Saturday and washing my hair and like the self-care practices, scheduling it into the day. And on a day-to-day, like after I finish the morning routine, I'm listening to Beyonce and Lizzo in the shower. And then there's, with now in the pandemic, we have shortened work days. And so Mm -hmm. I have about an hour or so before I start my day job work that I can do projects that really fuel and excite me, like my freelance writing, working on my newsletter, or yeah, just things that are like doing the personal work first and what fills my cup before again, like spilling in and pouring out into others. Oh, okay. Wow. Shortened work day. I was like, I think everyone should take a tip if they have a business or yeah. <laughs> work somewhere. It That's actually a great idea. But 
I love that you're super goal oriented because again, I relate to you a lot. And I think with your goals, obviously we can't meet every single one of our goals, right? Okay. So what do you do if you don't meet a certain goal that you're really attached to? Is that a time to when imposter syndrome's kicking in? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was two, three years ago now. Like what is time? Cause quarantine like has me all mixed up. It's like, what, what is today? Um, when I was working on my book proposal and I had as a goal last year, I think it was 2019 or 2018, like get an agent. Cause again, I was like, there's a process for traditional publishing. You know, you write the book proposal, you carry agents, you get the book deal, you write the book. It's out like two years later. It's a long game for sure. But mm-hmm. my overly ambitious self was like, well, I wrote the proposal and I'm going to query. And I had the timeline to it or even last year when my husband and I started trying to have a baby. And I was like, I literally wrote down like, as a goal to get pregnant. Now, mind you, both of these things are out of my control. And I just journaled about it this morning that what I realized I've been having a lot of anxiety around lately is that the things that I want most, a book deal and to have a baby are also outside of my control. So there's also, and there's definitely a a meditation I've saved on here about letting go, because there are some things that are just not within my sphere of influence are outside of my control. Mm -hmm. And having to accept and make peace with that is also kind of a morning. We talked about the cycles of grief. (laughs) There's definitely uh, tied to that as well. And so what I focus and probably honestly go a little bit too hard into are the things that I can control. And that's when I'm like, oh, I'm going to work out more and I'm going to write more. And that is not necessarily healthy either. But yeah, there's having to be honest with yourself and accepting of the things that you can control. Like I can write the book proposal and I can query the agents. I got an agent eventually, like I signed with her earlier this year. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of work. I remember the one of the first ones I queried and she was like, well, come back to me when you have 20,000 followers. And I was like, okay. Um, It's so much of it now is like a popularity contest. Like the actual writing takes a backseat to like, how many followers do you have? What's your reach? And all these things that are just a whole nother conversation (laughs) for Mm. another day. But yeah, to get back to your original question and what do you do when you don't reach the goal? um, Take some time to mourn that because it does suck. Like that is what I coach every writer that I work with and I've done pitching workshops. Like when you get that rejection, take the time to mourn that. And then the thing that I think holds a lot of people back is getting back in the game mm-hmm. or getting back in the arena, as Brene Brown says, and trying again once you're ready, but like, yeah, have the pity party and, you know, mope around for like, but give yourself like a a window of time to do that, like set a timer, or if you need longer, 24 hours, whatever it is, and then get back in the game, whatever that looks like for your particular goal. Yeah, no, I like that. You you kind of have to, right? I mean, especially if you're pitching and writing, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah, I feel like that's definitely part of being a freelance writer, especially. Um, I know that you've written for a lot of different publications. And I'm sure that that came with like, a lot amount of <laughs> yeah, because it's probably it's it's highly competitive, and that's probably mm-hmm. how you ended up getting burnt out. I'm assuming was it just a lot? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I I was working full time in journalism, it was just a different beast where it was like 
make this go viral. And you're like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this <laughs> that's works. That's what they would say. That's so yeah. funny. And also, just at that particular moment in time, it was like the summer of 2014. Mm. There was Ferguson, Michael Brown had just been killed. And, and working at a Black publication at the time, it was, I didn't know about self-care and wellness and therapy back then. So I was just like, go, 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 go all the time. But with this news that was impacting me personally as a Black woman, and also professionally, because I have to write about it all the time. And it was just like this cyclical thing where there'd be another shooting, another person. And I didn't take the time to mourn one Mm -hmm. and also reflect. And I was becoming desensitized to the news. It was just like, okay, I got to get this out and like not even thinking or processing. And I was like, I did not get into journalism to do this. Going back to my middle school days, it was like, reading all the teen magazines. I had Brittany and Christina and I was like, "Mm, they Mm -hmm. don't look like me. So that must mean there's something wrong with that. Like a lot of internalized self-hate, but that's why I got into it. It was like, I want to help ensure that no girl feels the way that I did growing up. And my words were the best way that I knew to do that Um, until still to this day, even with helping women, women of color, black women, especially like through my writing, is that uh, it's always been the goal. So that's why I was like, let me take a step back <laughs> from, from the writing full time in that capacity. But now it's um, been nudging me and like pulling me back in because that's what I was born to do. Like that's my mission is my purpose in life. And so I want to get back to that. I loved your article on I am well and good about black joy. I thought that that was really awesome. And you also wrote, pretty sure you wrote this one that was the one referencing Diddy. Yeah. On Shine Text, <laughs> which was the quote, I have it here. It said, this is, I'm quoting Diddy. If it ain't making me money, making me better, making me happy, I ain't making time for it. Mm-hmm. And I loved this article because I was like, huh, good point, Diddy. Thank you. And, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people, like I was not expecting that, but then I was like, you know, he's, kind of right in like now I'm like well the money isn't always the most important but like it's a good litmus test for you know deciding whether to say yes to a project a task a new job or like anything really mm-hmm. so yay diddy <laughs> <laughs> thanks diddy thanks for your lesson yeah but i i really have been loving engaging and interacting with your writing and i mean have you thought further into a plan maybe of what you want to do moving forward? Yeah, the dream. I mean, I think of any writer, it's definitely the book um, that's part of it, but also advances as we saw on uh, hashtag publishing paid me on Twitter are not that much, like not enough to quit your job, um, especially for debut writers and marginalized writers, writers of color, et cetera. So can't bank on that literally and figuratively. But I definitely daydream, you know, and visualize another meditation and visualization exercise of writing full time for various outlets, always centering black women and girls and doing work that uplifts and encourages and educates us at the end of the day. So that's, that's the goal. That's the dream. That is what I feel like I've been working toward my whole career, my whole life, honestly, even going back to high school when I got in trouble for writing about a JLo and Beyonce. <laughs> I went really? to a very conservative all-girl Catholic high school and they did not like me writing about big butts and body positivity back in 
the uh, early 2000s. So, um, <laughs> so you were writing about that back then? I, yeah, I was when I went home a couple, was it last year, maybe? I was looking at um, some of the columns that I wrote back then. I talked about self-defense. And so it's like I've always been low-key feminist. I just didn't have the word back then. Or I also think it had a bad rep <laughs> back in the yeah. early 2000s. It was like, oh, I don't. And now I, you know, proudly embrace it. And um, yeah, I'm all about that life. But yeah, even at 16. So it's like, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. And it's getting back to my roots. So I feel like quarantine has... Well, for again, for me, just my own personal experiences, like it's really brought me back to a lot of um, things about myself that yeah. I remember from when I was younger. And like, what, you didn't grow up in Chicago, right? You're not well, from outside okay. Baltimore, yeah, outside Baltimore. And like, I know earlier in the in the podcast, you mentioned that you were always pretty high achieving, right? You're always a high achieving person. You were always like, you know, like editor in chief, copy editor, and like you had evidence of being successful and growing up, like, did you get a lot of that like drive from your family or was, do you think that that's kind of like just who you are? I think it's <laughs> who I am. And that's actually when I found out about the Enneagram and my therapist was telling me about it and I was like, yeah, yep, definitely an achiever. And I'm like, where does this come from though? Because I was never pushed by either of my parents, but I definitely like looking back, I'm also very much a people pleaser. And my wing is to the helper on the Instagram. Are you really? Yeah, oh my true. gosh. We <laughs> literally are the same person. And um what I found was when I got the good grades, you know, I got the admiration from teachers, right? You know, you get the well back then you would get uh rewards from like Krispy Kreme or Pizza Hut. You take your report card and <laughs> your A's. Um and what I realized at a very early age, I think, is that when I did these things, when I got the good grades, I was rewarded for achieving. And it just became like what I sought to do. Like I wanted that attention. I wanted the recognition. I wanted the gold star. Literally, like I was joking about this with someone last week, but honestly, I think one of the reasons I got a Peloton, besides the obvious of like health and the convenience and the community and everything like that, was because on the leaderboard, uh, you can earn badges um, <laughs> for oh. the, high you, um, the high fives from instructors. You get shout outs if you've achieved a milestone. Yeah. And this is why I have worked out every day since January when it was delivered, because I you get a blue dot on a streak. like. And I don't want to break the streak because that's the perfectionist in me. And it's also an achievement thing. So I got issues, but, you know, I'm working on it. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we go to therapy. Exactly. Exactly. To unlearn all of these things that we didn't even know we were learning. Like, I didn't know that uh, I had yes. this addiction mm-hmm. to achievement and working and being perfect at everything. But we're unlearning. So, so much unlearning. Literally. Have you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? Not yet. It's on my to-be-read list. I already had it, and it's been sitting on the pile of books that I've been needing to read. And I just started it, and I was like, oh, this is why everyone really likes this book. And what you said reminds me, like, literally the first couple chapters is, like, we learn all these things that we didn't even know we learned. And then as an adult, you almost have to unlearn those things because 
you still care. I think people to a certain degree care about belonging. Yeah. But not as much as you did when you were little. And I think that the idea of wanting to belong, right, to a group is collectivism. This idea of like everyone really is actually intrinsically pulled toward a more collective society, even though the world right now is more of an individualistic society, at least here in the United States. And so (laughs) I think like, sorry to get all like weird and deep and stuff, but I was like, look at that. There's the shift. And that's a big reason why we're all like learning and unlearning and trying to dig deeper and dive in and understand ourselves. Mm -hmm. And with imposter syndrome, I think it's also about like learning about yourself and how to talk to yourself and how to help yourself in the best way that you can to keep moving forward. Who's that? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and I just did this, like my brain just went with this specific topic. And honestly, you gave me so many to do's on fighting my imposter syndrome. I'm more of like a, uh, like I said, paralyzed type person. Because, you know, like, for instance, with Impulse Company, I had started the idea two years before I actually really started doing anything on here. Yep. But I was really nervous. I was like, are people really going to like, listen to what I have to say about being a woman of color? And like, I'm Asian. Like, I grew up with mostly predominant, like mostly white people. Like, do people care about what I have to say? You know, did you mostly grow up with white people as well? Yeah. I mean, my middle school was predominantly black. And there was a lot of bullying in there. I didn't fit in, right? Because it's like, you talk like a white girl. Um, mm. I lived in the suburbs. I liked NSYNC and Britney Spears while everyone else was listening to Tupac and Biggie. So I didn't really ever fit in. And when I got to high school and it was all girl Catholic high school, actually I was just on a call with some alumni the other day because we were talking about our experiences as black students. It was me and one other girl in our mm-hmm. class of 114. So we were like, oh my gosh, you you thought that too? Like, And the thing is, looking back, I didn't know any better. Like I didn't know about microaggressions and I wanted so badly to be accepted, like to your point about that belonging. And I was like, Oh, I found my people. Like I found a girl the first day who also loved NSYNC. And I was like, this is going to be great. And like fast forward a few years later, um, one of the other girls like turns out is a huge Trump supporter and like safe to say we're no longer friends. <laughs> um, but there was other signs along the way that I just didn't pick up on. I didn't yeah. know what I knew then. So that's the other thing like about like so much of the equity work and everything, anti-racist work. So it's, yeah, that unlearning, but um, and even high school or college rather was predominantly white as well. So there was definitely, I think growing up for me, especially, I saw it less than my sister. She was definitely bolder and more confident in who she was, which I was like, that's great. Why didn't I? <laughs> like, <laughs> I that. Uh, so it's taken me a while, like into my adulthood to finally be proud to be a black woman, to be a feminist, to be who I am and what you see before you today, because for so long, I tried to hide that. And I didn't think that it was good enough. And I didn't think that I would be accepted. And I tried to tone down a lot mm. of who I was to be accepted in this largely white world around us and it's like hey I'm tired like <laughs> I know something about getting into your 30s is just like I don't have time for that like I know you don't 
(laughs) myself. So there's a a awakening that definitely has um, taken place internally as well. So again, that self work and yeah, it's ongoing. Don't I know it? (laughs) Like, yes, it is. Definitely is. Well, okay. So I have kind of like a, you know, just a few questions on how people can interact with you and your work. Like if you have any events or other speaking engagements or anything like that, that you want to share with people. Yeah. You can find me mostly Twitter and Instagram. Those are my favorite at LT in the city and my website, LT in the where you can sign up for my weekly motivational newsletter um, covers a lot of different topics, a lot about my experiences as a black woman, but career advice, life lessons, and articles rather I find uh, interesting on the internet, book and podcast recommendations, as well as job listings. So definitely subscribe to that. And that's where I post all upcoming events and workshops and things that I'm doing as well. So stay tuned. Oh, nice. I need to sign up for your newsletter. I was like, I'm going to link it though, so that everyone can also have it. I was like, Laurel and I just connected. We've only been chit-chatting on on the gram so far, but we're we're moving in multiple media platforms, which I'm excited about. And are there any other women of color that are currently inspiring you right now? I mean, so many. I just saw today that um, Raquel Willis was named director of communications for Miss Foundation that had like Miss Magazine, which is huge. Super excited for her pretty much every black woman right now <laughs> is inspiring me in some way. Our tenacity, our joy, our resilience, just out here advocating for Breonna Taylor, for yes. Black Lives Matter around the world. Writers such as Talia Hilbert, or Hibbert rather, Jasmine Guillory, I just read their books. Um, they had new books come out on Tuesday, their romance novels. And it's so necessary right now. It's like, Ooh, this is what I've been looking for yes. all the pandemic because I just needed to take my mind off of things. And Sometimes I need escapism. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. So good. So good. So Black women. Black women are inspiring me. Period. <laughs> yes. I love it. I will link to all of those people. And I'm definitely going to add the romance novels to my list because, like I said, I love, I love me some escapism. Thank you so much for listening all the way until the end of the episode. Are you ready to learn how you could win a pair of Allbirds? All right, here are the two things you need to do right now. Take a second to leave a review for the podcast on iTunes and give us that five-star rating because you love us so much. I'll even make it easier by sharing the link in the show notes. Number two, tag in Bold Company and Allbirds on Instagram, showing us that you're listening to the podcast. Take a screenshot, post a picture, what have you, but make sure that you tag us so that I see it. And lastly, as a bonus entry, post on Instagram and tell us how you're supporting your community. That's it. But again, make sure you tag us so that I can see it because that's how you'll automatically be entered to win. There's going to be one winner per month for the pair of Allbirds. And this runs from October 2020 until February 2021. So get out there. We appreciate your support so much. And if you haven't already, join our Thursday morning newsletter, Women of Color Weekly, 
where we share events, resources, inspiration, all by women of color. Leave inspired, and I promise you'll love it. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Imbold Company. Thank you so much. Until next week.